Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture again today from the National Association Farm Broadcasting 75th Convention in Kansas City. I want to just take a moment to uh, thank my uh, friends, colleagues uh, with NAFB. Very special night last night. Um, I was honored to go into the uh, National Association of Farm Broadcasting Hall of Fame along with my very good friend Don Wick from the Red River Farm Network. And uh, it's uh, a great honor, very humbling, very overwhelming. And uh, I I thank everyone here so very, very much. We have a busy program coming up today. We're going to talk a lot about trade. Aaron Innes, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council, will be joining us. We'll talk with Greg Dowd, Ambassador Dowd, the Chief Ag Negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative, and also Ted McKinney, Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs at USDA, all coming up on today's program. But first, we talk with John Doggett, CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. Here in Kansas City this week, the National Corn Growers signed an agreement with the National Pork Board and United Soybean Board to work together on sustainability. And I talked about that with John Doggett. Yes, the three organizations signed a memorandum of understanding. We're going to be working together on sustainability and and talking about the footprint that each of our industries has uh, so that we can better convey uh, the good things that are happening in the soybean industry, the corn industry, and the pork industry, and let consumers know that the product they're buying is sustainably produced. Yeah, you've got a great message, but uh, bringing the three groups together to help tell us, uh, that should be more effective, hopefully. You know, agriculture always works best when we work together, and this is a clear example of something that we're going to get done that I think we can all be proud of. Sustainability is the buzzword. A lot of people have different definitions of sustainability, but the idea is, of course, to get the message out because there's a misperception out there about how agriculture does what it does and the the impact on the environment. Well, certainly, and, and, you know, everyone worries about the definition of sustainability, but agriculture needs to define sustainability before somebody else does uh, because certainly there's a lot of folks out there that would like to define sustainability for us. Let's talk about the election results of this week and um, any surprises to you? No, not really. I mean, it was a a pretty classic... uh, uh, election. Uh, the House obviously was going to go uh, lean towards the Democrats. Uh, that always happens in a in a midterm election. Um, you know the the deck was stacked against Democrats. They were uh, defending a lot of seats, and particularly those seats in states where uh, President Trump won by double digits. That's a hard thing to overcome. So not a surprise. Um, and I think what's interesting is the pendulum swung back, but it didn't swing back at quite quite as far as some folks thought. So I, I think there's some room for hope. How important is it for agriculture to get this farm bill done before the end of the year? Absolutely, absolutely has to happen. Um, If we start playing politics with the farm bill, uh, we're all in deep trouble. And uh, there's no reason we can't wrap this up uh, in the next few weeks. So do you think this puts more pressure then on Chairman Conaway to maybe make some... um, uh, be willing to give a little on some of the worker requirement issues and SNAP issues in order to get it done this year? Well, there's, there's work uh, requirements in the current bill. Uh, there's, current, uh, there's work requirements in the bill that they're considering. Uh, yeah, we need to get this done, and, and uh, we need to be able to get it done because we're going to need 60 votes in the Senate, and uh, they have given on uh, uh, what they feel, feel is, uh, is good language on the worker requirement. So we need to get it done. 
We're talking with John Doggett, CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. A new Congress will be voting on USMCA. What do you think are the chances of getting that passed early next year? Well, that's going to be a difficult vote. Um, we have been talking to a lot of uh, moderate Democrats, and a lot of there's a lot of Democrats on the coasts that really want to see a trade deal done. It's good for them if they have a port facility or transportation facilities. I think there's more votes out there than we might think, but it's going to take a lot of work uh, on the part of a lot of people to get this done. I, I think it's possible. From a corn grower's perspective, what's your assessment of the deal? You know, it, it pretty much is the same deal we've had, and it's the deal that has made uh, Mexico our number one uh, customer for U.S. corn. And uh, we were down in Mexico last week. Uh, they're very excited about getting this deal completed and uh, moving forward in, in the way we have for the last few decades. How concerned are you about the tariffs that are still in place? We're very concerned, um, and certainly, you know, on, on a lot of them on um, uh, ethanol, and we're concerned about that. Uh, we're talking to the administration as many times and in as many ways as we can. We need to get the tariffs uh, removed. That it's not, it's not been helpful. Let's switch to the uh, ethanol. Uh, story, and that is E15. Now, the president makes the announcement that he's going to, you know, start the process to get E15 available year-round. But there's a difference between an announcement and it actually happening. Do you think they'll get it done by next summer? Well, we're very concerned that we're hearing that uh, they're going to release the initial rule in February. And then you have a comment period, and then they have to decide what they're going to do, and then you have possibly another comment period. That may go well into the driving season in, in the summer of 2019. We need to have E15 year-round by the summer of 2019 in order to get those uh, retailers to invest in the infrastructure and make the decision to go ahead and, and sell E15. But a lot of them are reluctant to do it until they, they see a clear path forward. We don't see that clear path yet. So your message to EPA is, let's speed this up. Let's not wait till February then. There's no reason to wait. We need to get things moving along. You know, when we talk trade, uh, sometimes I think people don't realize these trade issues impact ethanol too because we're exporting more and more ethanol. Certainly are, and, and China was becoming a very major market for ethanol, and now because of the tariffs, uh, we're virtually shut out of that market. So we're losing market in, in you know, one of the, in the biggest nation in the world uh, that desperately needs uh, ethanol to reduce their pollution. John, when you hear from your corn grower members around the country, what are they talking the most about? Is it trade? It's, it's demand of every type, you know, uh, in some pockets it's trade, in some pockets it's ethanol. Um, but, you know, I think the, the message uh, that we're hearing is demand, demand, and demand. You know, we talked about Farm Bill and the urgency to get it done this year. Are, is that top of mind for farmers, or has trade and some of these other issues kind of uh, uh, pushed it more to the back burner? This I, I think it, some of these other issues have pushed Farm Bill uh, to the uh, background a little bit, but, you know, we're starting to hear from, from bankers, um, and when the bankers are starting to wonder what's going on in, in uh, the policy arena, you know, you need to pay attention to that. So you've got a full agenda, Farm Bill, trade. What else is on the corn grower agenda looking at 2019? Well, you know, I th again, we're, we're looking at the sustainability efforts that we're, uh, we're doing. You know, we have the Soil Health Partnership that we've been working on, which is a, a really interesting program, and it's just getting off the ground. Uh, you know, we're, we have now we have a, a 
several hundred farmers uh, across the Midwest that are you know in this program and, and uh, you know it there's a lot of innovation in that program and, and people are trying some new and interesting things I think that's a really good story to tell is um, you know we're continuing to improve. We're doing a good job, but we're doing a better job today than we did yesterday, and we'll do a better job tomorrow than we did today. You know, it's kind of an interesting time. Uh, so much of the focus in the ag community is we've got to sell our product. We've got a lot of products to sell. We need trade deals. We need to get past these trade wars. But yet society is focused on our production of these crops and these environmental issues. You know, it's been interesting in agriculture for a long time. We, we, we've said, well, they don't know where their food comes from. They think their food comes from, from a grocery store. Now people are saying, well, where's my food coming from? I want to know. So, you know, it's coming on us. This is an opportunity. This is not a threat. This is an opportunity for the consumer and for the folks that, that uh, process the commodities gives them an opportunity to catch us doing the good things that we've been doing. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four. 
To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We have a lot of trade talk on our show today. We're a little bit later. We'll talk with Ted McKinney, USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs. Also coming up, Ambassador Greg Dowd, our Chief Ag Negotiator at the U.S. Trade Representative's Office. All that coming up. But right now we're going to talk trade, especially when it comes to China, because that's the big topic, of course. Aaron Ennis joins us. Aaron, Senior Vice President with the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron, thanks for being back with us on Adams on Agriculture. My pleasure, Mike. All right. So there's anytime there's talk of talks, uh, people get excited when it comes to the U.S. and China. So uh, we're looking forward to maybe some talks between uh, the U.S. and China uh high-level meetings, and we don't know what's going to be discussed, or uh, could be some talks that has everyone excited. How optimistic are you that something could get worked out anytime soon? Well, uh, certainly talking is better than not talking in terms of the chance of making some progress Mm -hmm. on issues. It's still probably a pretty long shot that the two sides can come to sufficient agreement that we would see all of the tariffs come off. But um, there are indications that they're at least talking to each other about some specifics. And so hopefully this means that even if we don't have specific outcomes that release the tariffs, that maybe there'll be a timeline announced of when the tariffs might come off. Do you see this as all or nothing? Do all the issues have to be resolved? Or could it be a gradual process where, uh, you know, some... Uh, maybe some tariffs lifted and uh, it'd be, you know, a little here, a little there and, and working towards an end goal. Yeah, I don't think that any of us should trust an agreement that's all or nothing. These are very long-standing issues between the United States and China that are going to require some detailed negotiations. And as much as I know the president has a really strong team working on these issues, I think that, you know, less than a month to work all of these issues out on issues that have been lingering for so long probably is unrealistic. So we should we should anticipate, and probably the best outcome is not only some short-term immediate progress, if they can get there, but also a plan of, a, of engagement and a plan of action to address issues over the longer term. Aaron, from an agricultural standpoint, uh, I think agriculture acknowledges long-term problems or long-standing problems with China that need to be addressed. Uh, but agriculture feels it's bearing the brunt uh, of the retaliation in the process. What other areas of our uh, economy are also getting hurt by this, and, and to what extent? So you're definitely not alone in agriculture, although there's no denying that y'all get the brunt of it, because you didn't not only got the tariffs for the um, issues dealing with intellectual property rights and technology transfer, but also the retaliation for steel and aluminum. So y'all um, sadly lead the pack on this one. But other sectors who are being hit significantly by China's retaliatory tariffs, um, medical devices, um, high-tech products, uh, inputs. Right now, China's got at least one round of tariffs in place on most about 85% of U.S. exports to the country. The dollar value is a lot less than what, uh, what the um, amount is that the United States has on, but it is, it is a significant portion. So companies that are making things and shipping it to China in general are getting hit by uh, at a minimum of a 5 to 10% tariff. 
We're talking with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. So, you know, both sides want to say, hey, we can win this. Uh, we're in it for the long haul. We're dug in. We're not going to give in. Um, how do we look at that? I mean, is there pressure on China, more pressure on them to give in, or is there more pressure on the U.S.? How do you see this playing out long term? I, I don't know that there is actually more pressure on one side or the other on it. When it comes right down to it, China is experiencing kind of a similar situation to what the United States is right now. Uh, the tariffs have impacted a handful of industries, but both because of companies trying to get ahead of the tariffs by stockpiling and buying a lot of product to bring into the United States, or American companies trying to get ahead of the, the retaliatory tariffs that China put on, there are people largely you know, using up what they've been buying in the interim. It's among the reasons why the trade deficit spiked so much um, for the United States in the last four to five months. We probably won't begin seeing the impacts on either economy until sometime in 2019. Now, hopefully, if these talks work out um, on December 1 between um, President Trump and President Xi, we won't see those impacts at all. But that's probably when we'll start seeing the actual pressure. I keep uh, looking at possible comparisons to the Russian grain embargo of many years ago and how that in some ways is still being felt because it, it kind of shifted production and the flow of trade and brought other countries into the picture and had very long-term effects even after the embargo was lifted. Do you see what's going on now, this trade dispute between the U.S. and China, having a long-term impact on global trade? I think that it will, um, and I think that there's some of that's going to be positive, and some of it has the potential of being negative. On the positive side, as much as many of us in the business community, um, and you know, I know in agriculture as well, disagree with how the president is, and the administration has used tariffs because of the immediate impact, there is agreement that there are issues that need to be addressed with China. And more broadly, there are some issues that need to be addressed to update some of the rules and, and on global trade where, we, where things have fallen short. So my hope is that we actually see some positive come out of all of this. On the business side, however, there is no denying that the analogy that you use to the Russian grain embargo is, is a, a useful one. What we see happening in China and, frankly, in other markets around the world as well are those real business impact for companies in all kinds of sectors. We have companies tell us that as early as June of this year when we did our uh, survey of our members, that they were already losing share to both other foreign companies in China as well as domestic companies in China because American companies were viewed as unreliable suppliers due to the tensions between the two governments. Whenever a customer can find a good alternative to a product that you are selling, um, either comparable quality, comparable price, you're going to have a slog to try to get those customers back and convince them once you're able to sell at that same price again that they should return to you as, as their customer of choice. Well, I think it's interesting how things shift, and I don't, I don't know if it's equal amounts to where we were, but we're, we're hearing things like, okay, uh, so China's not buying soybeans from us, so they buy them from South America. Well, South America sends them so much that they still need soybeans, so they buy them from the U.S., so it just kind of reroutes things in some cases. It certainly it does in some cases. Demand in China for soybeans, for instance, are so much higher, though, for, uh, than for other markets that it's unlikely, well, 
to begin with, it's unlikely they're going to be able to fill their demand fully from just those other sources. Mm-hmm. So that might also give us a glimmer of hope of where and when some of these things might be resolved. But the demand is not going to exceed uh, what in Brazil what China had been buying from the United States. So there is a risk of some lost market share for American companies, even when they find some new opportunities in these other markets. So do you think this will end with with a formal agreement between the two countries, or uh, how do you see the the end game on this? So our our goal and what we've been recommending to both governments is that, yes, they come out of this with a – um, if not a formal agreement, at least a plan of, of action to work towards a formal agreement. I think in the absence of that, you risk what the president has said from the beginning that he disagrees with um, from previous governments, uh, and that is that we they talk a lot and they didn't resolve any of the issues for the longstanding issues. Now, that is one of those things that's going to take that work, and I don't know that they'll be able to get there by December 1st because the window is getting shorter and shorter, of course, but even a plan of action of how they plan to get towards a negotiating an agreement, I think, would be a positive outcome. Yeah, just uh, I wonder because I look at the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, and for much of agriculture, it's basically the same as what we had with the old NAFTA. A little bit of gain in dairy. Uh, I know that the fruits and vegetables are not real happy. They don't think they gained much there. So, uh, you know, from an agricultural standpoint, I wonder when it's all said and done, do we gain with uh, China more than we had or stay about the same? Um, Hard to know without knowing the specific details of what the administration is asking for. But I know that the administration's goal on the issues with China is to make progress across the board on these issues. We know that the Department of Agriculture um, and the U.S. Trade Representative's Office have been really continuing to engage with China, even in the midst of the other tensions that are going on. I'm glad to hear that you're going to be having folks from both agencies talking to you later this morning. But I think that they're going to be primed to be able to lock in some progress once the broader tensions are reduced. Well, Aaron, always appreciate your perspective on this, and hopefully here in a, what, you know, in the next few days, maybe weeks, we'll have some more to talk about on this. So we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. That would be great, Mike. Have a good day. Uh, you too. Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. All right, we're going to continue on this theme of trade and especially what's going on with China, but other countries as well. Our U.S. Chief Ag Negotiator Ambassador Greg Dowd will be with us next to give us his perspective on uh, the tensions with China, what they're working on, and also some of the other uh, countries and markets that uh, they're trying to develop a, a trade deal with as well. So Ambassador Greg Dowd next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. It's not just storing grain, it's storing quality. At FS, quality isn't just a promise, it's a statement. Our grain systems experts stay focused on what's ahead by providing state-of-the-art grain systems that protect grain quality in the bin, along with larger capacity bins that keep us moving forward. We're always looking for ways to optimize operations and ensure our customers are ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. 
time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. We are broadcasting from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention at the Western Crown Center in Kansas. 75 years strong, the theme for this year's convention. In the grain and oil seed sector, we see minus signs in corn futures on this Friday, bending some four in a fraction lower. December down four at 369 and three quarters. March at 381, down four and a quarter. Soybean futures, January up a penny and three quarters at 880 and three quarters of a cent. For the wheat's Chicago December contract, down a nickel at 502 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat December down a penny and a half at 578 and a half. Kansas City hard red winter wheat December down seven and a half at 489 and three quarters. Meanwhile, for livestock at the Merkin Live Cattle Futures, December down $2.60 at 113.95. February down $2.25, 117.65. We've been waiting on cash cattle activity in the central and southern plains. We've been been seeing live bids at 113, asking prices 118. Dress deals so far this week have been at 180 in Nebraska. Not really enough to set the trend for the week, but enough sales to call it steady so far with a week ago. In lean hog futures, December down 67 at 54.95. February down 7 cents at 60.02. Outside markets on Wall Street, we've been seeing some minus signs with the NASDAQ, the Dow, S&P all struggling. The S&P down 27, Dow down 178, NASDAQ down 113. And again, we're broadcasting from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention in Kansas City. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now, you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit? Doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce? It just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to the National Association of Farm Broadcasting 75th Convention going on in Kansas City. We are very happy to have with us Greg Dowd. He is USTR Chief Agriculture Negotiator, Ambassador Dowd. Well, I remember him from his days at NCBA a long time ago, so we go back a ways, uh, Greg. Uh, but trade is such a hot issue right now. You're right there involved in all of this. 
Let's let's take them one by one. Let's start with China. Anything new to report? Where are we at with China? Well, the answer is we've got to sit down and have a conversation between the two countries. Uh, I, I believe uh, the president's going to have an opportunity to at least have a conversation end of the month. I, you know, well, do I have any idea in terms of a timeline or what's going to happen here? No. All I know is this, is, is the first point I would make is this is an important dialogue we have to have between the two largest economies in the world. Uh, for our part at USTR, you've seen the report that is on our website talking about China's intellectual property theft, forced technology transfer. These are very, very serious issues. We have to figure out a way to resolve these issues. This, we're serious about this. Um, it's going to take some time, but uh, for our part in agriculture, as long as uh, as soon as we can get those issues resolved, we'll sit down and have a conversation, hopefully pretty quickly on the ag side. But it sounds like it's going to be a long-term situation. Uh, I would characterize it this way, Mike. We're serious. This is a conversation that is long overdue that has to be dealt with. In the meantime, it does seem like agriculture is bearing the brunt of the situation, even though I think most in agriculture realize it's a situation that needs to be addressed. But I think the question is, why does agriculture you know, face the brunt of this in the retaliation? Well, the first point I would make on that is that was China's decision, not ours. And I don't know why China decided to uh, retaliate against U.S. agricultural products. Uh, but they have. It's very unfortunate, and I think it's done. It's hurt them as much as it's hurt us. Uh, but that doesn't uh, weaken our resolve at all in terms of the administration and and the issues that we've got to deal with as two two countries and two huge economies. Do you see it as all or nothing? I mean, all those issues have to be addressed. I mean, it couldn't be okay. We could just work on parts here and there. It'll have to be all or nothing. I, I think that's a question for my boss and his boss. So we'll see how that plays out then, obviously. Tell us about your, how you feel about the U.S. MCA deal, which for agriculture seems to be a lot of uh, uh, maybe what we had going in didn't lose anything. Now maybe gain some on dairies, maybe. Uh, what's your assessment? What's the strengths of this new deal? Well, a couple key points. First of all, in, in NAFTA, 88% of the tariffs in, between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico in agriculture were already duty-free. So the only things we really had to fix were uh, poultry, eggs, and dairy with Canada, and sugar are the only issue, really the main commodities that aren't already duty-free between the three countries. And, of course, the mantra of everyone going in was do no harm. And so I think the, the point being is, is the big thing that we had to fix was, you know, China's new aggression in the last couple of years with regard to Class 7 and how they were exporting skim milk powder in third-country markets. And, and really causing problems with it. They knew they were, and they, you know, we, they knew that this had to be addressed. Uh, what I really appreciate in that discussion is, from, from my perspective in agriculture, is having my boss, and in particular President Trump, saying, look, this has got to be dealt with. That made my job easier in, in this conversation. What I will say with regard to dairy in Canada was, you know, you have to keep in mind, this is the first time we ever got a chink in that armor up there. In the U.S.-Canadian Free Trade Agreement 30 years ago in NAFTA, we never even broached the conversation on dairy. So this this was a big deal to, to make some progress. Or did we get it all perfect? No, but we made progress. Did we gain any more in dairy than we would have if we'd have been in TPP? Yeah, I think so. 
particularly with regard to the Canada's skim milk powder exports and our ability to address that issue. You know, the, the one thing I would also point out is that um, the industry has changed up there in the last few years. Canada's put an enormous amount of uh, investment into their industry. So uh, exporting that ultra-filtered milk into Canada like we did the last few years, I think those days are gone. I think Canada's spent an enormous amount of mon money in their industry to... to uh, I think those that's not going to happen anymore because of what they've done up there. We're talking with Ambassador Greg Dowd, our USTR Chief Ag Negotiator. Okay, Greg... As you know, with your long history with agriculture, historically, tariffs have not been good for agriculture. We've tried to do away with tariffs. Now, President Trump believes, obviously, in tariffs as a tool to get uh, things worked out and issues resolved. So how do we resolve that difference between agriculture's views on tariffs and, and the president's view? Well, I think the president's views on tariffs are, are rectifying situations such in industries such as steel and aluminum where the markets are a wreck. And we remember what that was like in agriculture many, many years ago when we were dealing with the Europeans and, and huge subsidies and huge oversupplies around the world. And by the way, I would say we're also dealing with that today, in particular with China. You have to keep in mind, we have two of the biggest WTO cases in history with China right now in agriculture in terms of completely violating their WTO commitments in terms of subsidies. Are we any closer to the tariffs being taken off? Um, with regard to China? Uh, Mexico. With regard to Mexico, um, the answer is that's a really important topic right now that we're working on. This, this has got to get resolved. A lot of work being done to get this sorted out. Because it seems right now the tariffs kind of negate what we might have gained in the USMCA. Yeah, and I think we can get this sorted out. I don't have any idea in terms of timeline yet. But the point that the president... I, I, you know, is making here, particularly on steel and aluminum, is we have oversupplies, we have subsidies, but look, let's sit down and talk and sort this out. And and be, he wants to have a conversation. We've had conversations with South Korea, with Brazil, with a lot of other major steel producers and exporters around the world. Let's have that conversation with Canada and Mexico as well, and begin to get down to where the real problem is, and that's coming out of China. What's the situation with Japan? Is there a likelihood that we'll get a deal with them? Well, there's a strong likelihood we're going to sit down and talk to them and, and begin to negotiate, obviously. So uh, con we, you, the administration, we've sent a letter to Congress starting the 90-day clock on, on uh, beginning no negotiations with Europe, the U.K., and Japan. And obviously with Japan, this is a huge deal because Japan has uh, – they've been busy. And they've had deals coming with Australia, with Canada, and sometime in the middle of next year, I think it's April, with Europe. And so uh, their tariffs are going to change. Ours are going to remain the same. We have got to get busy sitting down with Japan so we maintain the same tariffs as, as our competitors and have ability to maintain what is an absolutely critical market for us in agriculture. And that's a great the relationship with Japan and agriculture is really tremendous. We just need to, and I don't, I don't envision any problems here, Mike, but I, we just need to have the conversations. We're going to get that started early next year. Are you concerned uh, that the TPP countries have moved on or are about to move on with their deal without us? Well, they're, they're done. And so it's, those deals are about ready to enter into force. But you have to keep in mind, if we do deals with Japan and with Vietnam, we have deals with everybody else. That is TPP. 
So um, we're looking at that. Obviously, Japan has started uh, looking at Vietnam, looking at other countries in Southeast Asia that uh, hopefully you'll begin to hear about here next year or, you know, in in the foreseeable future. We've got a pretty robust agenda coming here in terms of uh, trade and agriculture next year. The European Union, we have a long history of trouble there. You know from the days with the beef industry, a lot of baggage with hormones and, and different issues. I've always thought of all these markets we're talking about, that might be the heaviest lift to try to overcome that. How optimistic are you that something could be worked out with the EU? You know, we've been dealing with that forever. I, I will be very honest with you, Mike. When I first started in this job eight months ago, that was one of the stark realizations to me as you get read in on all this stuff. It's far worse than I thought it was in the situation between the U.S. and Europe and agriculture. Where Europe is headed in terms of pesticides is outrageous. What they've just done and, and, uh, and the path they're headed on here in the next couple, three years in terms of antibiotics is outrageous. We know what they're doing in terms of uh, carcass washes and meat, biotech, you name it. Uh, there's a re- and we're going to talk about this uh, more. There is a reason we have a 15 billion dollar trade deficit with Europe and agriculture. They don't play, you know. They, they're very, very protectionist. And what I really appreciate in this discussion is my boss, Ambassador Lighthizer, has said, "Look, we are not going to have a conversation with the Europe's with Europe and not include agriculture. It, agriculture has to be a part of the conversation." That's just huge for, for us in agriculture to begin to finally, you know, sit down and have an ability to resolve these long-standing issues. So finally, you said you, a busy agenda. Do you expect we'll see some trade deals signed in 2019 then? Well, I expect to see a lot of negotiations in 2019. I don't want to, you know, forecast how all these things are going to go. Uh, but we are going to be busy talking to a lot of different countries. And I, I want to emphasize uh, there are a lot of things that we're doing that aren't trade deals that are, you know, uh, conversations we're having with a lot of different countries that uh, in my career I haven't seen in a long, long time. So we're having conversations with countries like Indonesia, having a lot of conversations. And Ted McKinney at USDA, enormous amount of work with India. I mean, you have to keep in mind, we have to begin these conversations because before long, India is going to have more people than China. They have some of the highest tariffs in the world in agriculture. If that market's going to be there for us, you know, it takes years to get there. We have to begin that process today. Ambassador Greg Dowd, our USTR chief ag negotiator, good to see you again. Never a dull moment for you. Lots going on. We are really busy. Thank you. All right, he mentioned uh, Ted McKinney, USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs and the work they're doing at USDA. And we'll talk with Ted McKinney next as we continue uh, looking at the trade picture. Very complicated picture right now, a lot of issues to work out. How's USDA handling uh, these trade matters? We'll find out next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes and you're done. To try Power Swabs risk-free, call 866-504-0276. That's 866-504-0276. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 866-504-0276. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're talking trade here at the National Association Farm Broadcasting 75th Convention in Kansas City. Happy to have with us Ted McKinney, Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs. You know, there's probably no topic uh, we discuss more right now in agriculture, even more than the Farm Bill. It's trade and concerns about trade. Let's start with China. Hope that something's going to get done uh, with talks coming up. What can you tell us? Sure. Well, hope springs eternal, so I hope people maintain that positive attitude. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns. I don't know the specifics, but let me speak to it. I think it's a very key positive that the, our president called President Xi. Uh, I think that was earlier this week or late last week, so that's a positive. It's also positive that we're hearing, and I think I've had confirmed, that the two presidents will visit at the... Uh, G20 conference in Argentina, also positive. But I also want to make sure your listeners understand that I don't expect a big embrace, you know, uh, and out of that comes, let's start negotiating this afternoon. It, it, will, it will not be that quick. The U.S. must hear, and they've made this very clear, they've got to hear and have some evidence that China is going to stop stealing intellectual property and stopping forced technology transfer when our companies go over there. We don't treat them that way when they come here. And I think until those two issues get a very firm and positive reply, it could be a while. I don't think this will be days. I don't think this will be weeks before it's settled. I hope it's not years. So I'm sure you are hearing from farmers saying, yes. and I think farmers understand that issue that you just described. But it seems like agriculture is bearing the brunt of the efforts to resolve those issues. Yeah, well, part of that is a recognition that ag has a very powerful voice in Washington. That's a good thing in general. But the downside of that is that it allows our friends in China to look at the political map and identify red counties or red states, and that's where they, you know, uh, do their thing. It is what it is. Uh, agriculture is always the first roundhouse left hook or attempt thereof. And so we're just going to have to work through it. I, so that you know what I believe, I believe it is on the right track. And I believe the administration knows that you can't just hold them and you can't just fold them. You got to know when to play them. And that is not, a, that is not something that, that they're going to share with me. But I hope that is what we see come out of that because uh, China does need us 
and we need them, but not if it's on unfair playing ground, and it has been for a long time. From an agricultural standpoint, historically, tariffs have not been good for agriculture. Yet the president believes that tariffs are an important tool for him to use in trying to get trade deals done or trade issues resolved. How do we resolve those two different of opinions on tariffs? Yeah, I don't think we've done a good job at talking about why the tariffs are there. Generally, tariffs are not liked by anybody. The reason they were done that way is because there is a glut of steel and aluminum on the world market. And at a time when most market forces would say, stop producing, we've got some, notably China, doubling, quadrupling production. The intent is to drive other countries out of business, and that includes us. So the president and his team wisely said, would not be a good thing for the superpower of the U.S. to not be basic in steel and aluminum, particularly if it's allowed to happen because of nefarious market actions. So the tariffs were the president's way of saying, we're going to rebuild our industry. Well, it also brings collateral damage. I think that's your point. So I do believe the administration's working very hard to try to address that. I've heard, I don't know this, but I've heard assigning different countries quotas might be a way to address that. But we've got to get the counter tariffs off our backs because we've got the success of USMCA, the NAFTA 2.0, but little to gain for it if you're facing tariffs. And I think that's been communicated. And I think the president, certainly my former boss, the vice president, knows that, hence the desire to find some alternative to fix that. Speaking of alternatives, as you've laid out this scenario that we see a long-term situation with China, how do... How close are we to finding other markets that can maybe help us out fill that void? Yeah, we're working that very hard. Interestingly, it was not just by chance that Secretary Purdue and my team at Foreign Ag Service was working on that before the tariffs ever got laid out. To go to India was a bit unusual for those of us in USDA. And the countries I've been to, I've been to 21 countries, three or four of them more than once, Two-thirds of them are not the traditional countries where we sell enormous amounts of product. It's more in the developing country. India, Indonesia, South Africa. Uh, we'll be going next week to the Philippines and Thailand. And what I've found is there is business opportunity out there. There really is. No stone unturned. That's my mantra. It's set the all-time high record in the history of the foreign ag service of products sold by those that went along. And it was the commodity groups that you know, but also some branded food beverage companies. So we are out building trust so that we can cultivate and bring along those other countries. I'm a World War II buff. Germany and Japan after World War II were decimated. The Marshall Plan, among other things, have lifted them up to be terrific trading partners takes a while, but we need to follow on that mode, and I think we're going to get there. That's not to say we're vacating those key markets of Canada, Mexico, even China, Japan. No way, no how. We want to double down and add more, but we're going to do it in two-way trade, free, fair, reciprocal trade, all the while hunkering down and working other markets too. Undersecretary Ted McKinney, Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs. Good to talk with you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mike. All the best.
All right, with that, we wrap it up from here at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting 75th Convention in Kansas City. Hope you've enjoyed our coverage these last couple of days. We've had a chance to talk with some uh, high officials on a lot of important issues, uh, especially on trade. Now, coming up on Monday, we'll get the latest on the weather which is really getting wintry in a lot of places, including here in Kansas City. Uh, We're also going to uh, be talking some biodiesel issues as well with the National Biodiesel Board. Again, thanks to all the folks here at NAFB. What an honor last night for me to be going into the uh, uh, NAFB Hall of Fame. Very, very humbling, and I thank everyone so very much. And uh, thank you for joining us today on AOA. Have a great weekend, everyone. Hope you'll join us again on Monday.